0: Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. As we all move forward in light of COVID-19, we want to encourage you to make a priority of joining us in person for worship. Because as you know, listening to a podcast can never replace the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we look forward to seeing you soon. In the meantime, here is this week's message. Well, good morning, I'm glad to be here with you today as we continue our series called It's Your Serve. And today it's a two-part message on evangelism, uh, which of course is sharing our faith. Last week we looked at Jesus' corporate evangelism strategy. If you weren't here for that, you can go back, it's the message online, you can watch that. Today we're gonna talk about our individual responsibility to share our faith. Now, when we talk about evangelism, according to studies, and I haven't polled you, I can just see what I can find, according to studies, most Christians actually don't share their faith. I mean, the vast majority do not share, and it's hard for them to do. Uh, the number one reason was fear. Fear. They're afraid to share their faith. They don't know enough. They don't have the answers. And others say they don't believe they have an opportunity to share their faith. Some say they're too shy. They're too busy. It's because lack of relationships. Others say they don't want to offend people. Then some say they're worried about rejection, hostility, or aren't equipped for it. Now, those aren't all the reasons, but all of those can be lumped up into, we don't know non-Christians and we're afraid of something. And that makes up 84% of Christians. 84% is this fear. Either I don't know Christians or I'm just afraid. That's why Christians aren't sharing their faith. And maybe you fall into these categories. I'm not too sure. But I want to talk about that today. And I want to talk about a couple of things that hopefully will overcome you, this fear of sharing your faith. Because I believe it comes down to two reasons. Number one, we're confused at whose responsibility it is to share their faith. And number two is we have the wrong expectations of what's supposed to happen if we share our faith. For instance, when I bring up evangelism, what comes to mind? Is it Billy Graham and those massive crusades he put on, or maybe it's the great, the great revivals that, that went around the great awakenings of America, and we think about those old preachers, those old-time preachers used to preach under the tents, and the masses would come, or maybe if you, when you think of evangelism, you think about that church that you went to every night that week, and someone gave an altar call every single day, and you gave your life to Christ about 10 times that weekend or that week. We think of evangelism as your primary thought about what something somebody else does. When I say evangelism, do you come to mind or does Billy Graham come to mind? What's your thought there? Is it you? And what's our expectations about people coming to Christ? I mean, how do we point towards success? I mean, what's supposed to happen if we do share our faith? I mean, are they supposed to come down by an altar call? Is that what it means to share our faith And someone at work is when there's an altar call? Or maybe successful evangelism is just seeing an unbeliever leave their lifestyle of sin instantly, give it all up, and drop everything to follow Jesus, and there's this massive conversion story that just brings all of us to tears. And If those things are the things that come to mind, what you think is somebody, evangelism is somebody else's job, a professional's job, and to be successful at it, somebody must convert and convert that day. See, a long time, that's what I thought evangelism was. I thought it was someone else's job. It was the professionals. And I thought that people had to make this life-changing commitment, and it challenged me. And it, a lot of it came from this one verse. I want to read it with you. It's in Mark. Next, yep, there we go. It says, Mark 6, uh, 1, 16 through 17, it says, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Next verse. It says, At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them. And they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Y'all heard this passage before? Yeah, I bet we all have because people make us feel really bad. Like, this is what it means to be a Christian. Jesus is just walking by, you're working, and you're supposed to quit everything, quit everyone, and just walk away. I mean, they left their dad in the boat. He was just sitting there like, well, what am I supposed to do now? right, and I know I've preached this at the very beginning when I was like 20. I used this verse, and I made everybody feel bad about their commitment to Christ. Because we will look, we're like, well, evidently, like, When Jesus calls, and that's what it seems to be like, other people do that, you're just supposed to walk away from absolutely everything. But here's the thing while Matthew and Mark both have this story in there, they give us, well, no details to what actually was going on. See, these men didn't give up out of the blue. Something much different was going on that I think we can miss. Look at this with me. John chapter one, verse 35, it says this. This is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. It says, the next day, John was again with two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist, which means John the Baptist was still alive. Gives us an idea for a timeline. It says, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Now, admittedly, Scholars have a hard time piecing together everything about Jesus' ministry, but we do know this was at the beginning because, like I said, John, he's just mentioning the name of God. Jesus isn't popular yet. Then look what happens. Verse 40. It says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John uh, had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. That is Christ. And we brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you're Simon, son of John, and you will be called Cephas, which is translated is Peter. So here we see Andrew and Peter. This is the very first time that Peter actually meets Jesus. We see that his brother comes against him, says, hey, let's go see Jesus. Jesus gives him a really cool nickname right away. Right, that's, this is when it happened. And then from here in the timeline, we see at the very next chapter, Jesus takes his disciples, which is the people here who he's talking about, and he takes them to a wedding. Do you remember that? And Jesus turns um, water into non-alcoholic wine. Isn't that what? That, I'm just joking. He turns water into regular wine. Right? We all know that miracle. Right, And so they're with Jesus seeing the water into wine. Fast forward a bit, look what Luke the historian tells us. This is another time we're jumping in the life of Jesus, and it says, Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over, bent over rebuked the fever, and left her, and she got up at once to begin to wait on them. And so Jesus at the home of Peter, we just accidentally show up? Or did he already know Peter? Did he already have a relationship with Peter? See, he's given us more information about explaining the call of of Peter and his friends. And now Luke, because he's the historian, he's gonna give us more detail. Remember, we just read this story about Jesus just casually walking by, looking at some people and said, hey, follow me. They quit everything at once. Remember that? Well, Luke's gonna give us a little bit more detail to what was going on. It's a lot of scripture. Bear with me, Luke chapter five. It says, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Jacinaret, the people were crowding around him, listening to the word of God. He saw that the water's, edge, two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got in one of the boats belonging to, did he already know Simon? Yeah, here you know Peter. He's like, hey, you're my friend. Can I borrow your boat? I mean, that, that's it, because you don't let anybody, this means that if you're my friend, you let me borrow your boat. I just thought about that mere, immediate spiritual application. So when I call you, you Gordon, you're supposed to let me borrow your boat. Anyways, moving on, and asked him to put out a little from the shore ashore then he sat down and taught the people from the boat next verse says and when he had finished speaking he said to simon put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch simon answered master he's already a disciple of jesus he's already agreed to follow jesus this is someone he knows Someone he knows, master i know you master right because a lot of people get confused why is he calling a master well he already knows him he's already agreed to be his disciple he's already following him he says, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish, their nets began to break. Verse 7, it says, so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that it began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the son of Zebedee, Simon's partner. There's that dad we were just hearing about. So they saw all this too. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore left everything and followed him. You see, the best estimates that scholars have is this event, the one we read at the very beginning, was a year after Jesus had called them with the wedding event and all of that. So we look at this and we're amazed. Like, how did they just leave everything? Well, they knew Jesus for a year. They were working with Jesus. And, and we don't know everything, but they hung out. They saw Jesus turn water to wine. Jesus is hanging out at his home, healing his mother-in-law. He's barring his boat. I mean, he's already working on Peter. Peter's already following Jesus. He's just slowly giving more to Jesus and evidently something happened and we don't know what, but when this big catch of fish happened, evidently Peter, I imagine Peter and Jesus were having some other conversations. They were working through something and, and whatever happened right then, it just spoke to Peter in the moment. And he's like, all right, this is it. I mean, I got got to go. Like, this this is big. So here's what I want you to see. Peter's massive leaving everything moment wasn't an out of the blue calling. Jesus had been working on him for a year. Reaching people for Christ takes time. And you see, most time, most of the time, people come to Christ or they have a relationship with Jesus because of the relationship of somebody else. For many of you, it was your parents. And if you were raised in a Christian home, you need to thank your parents. You need to thank God that he placed you in that because not everybody gets that. So your parents are working on you for a long time. Other people who don't have that, they're gonna need someone else to work with them for quite a while and, and have an established relationship with them. Because what's really important to understand is Jesus never tells us to save anybody. We can't. He's in the business of saving people. But he tells us to disciple people. And evangelism and discipleship, we'll talk about discipleship next week. But evangelism and discipleship, they go hand in hand where we're reaching people, we're telling about Jesus, we're helping them walk with Jesus, and we're living life with these people. We don't see in the Bible, in very few places, do we see this one and done, here, come accept Jesus, now go live your life however you want. That's what traveling evangelists did, and since none of us are that, we don't have to worry about that. We spend time with people, it's through relationships. And when you have a relationship with somebody and you know somebody, what are you afraid of? It's a lot easier if you think about sharing your faith and evangelism in the context of a friendship, isn't it? Isn't it much easier to talk to people that you're friends with? Do you all have friends? Can I get some head nods? Yeah. Yeah, if you have friends, you can talk. I mean, look, my, my best friend I've known for 30 years. So when I'm talking about real friends, I mean, it's people who know you. Some of us, we need to cross that line of, of being cordial with people and have real friends, and when you have real friends, they speak truth into your life and they make your life uncomfortable because they help you and they shape you and mold you. You understand this. And if you have those relationships with people, it might take you a lot of time and a lot of intentionality when you're sharing the gospel with them. Because God hasn't called you to be Billy Graham. And if he hasn't called you to be Billy, how do I know he hasn't called you to be Billy Graham? Because you're sitting down there and I'm up here. If you were Billy Graham, we'd be switched. And since you're not Billy Graham, don't worry about what Billy Graham did. We are to reach people with the gospels to establish relationships where God has placed us. You see, I love the way Matthew puts this verse. It says this, Matthew four nineteen says, and he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We will spend a ton of time on this next week, but I want you to see something. This is before they've been called apostles None of them have been called apostles yet. That happens later. They're just regular disciples, regular people saying, I want to sign up to follow Jesus. So right here, if you're a Christian, if you say, I want to follow Jesus, if you say, I've said a prayer, however we want to define that, I'll define it for us next week. But however we want to define that, I need you to know, Jesus has said, as disciples, people who are followers of him, follow him, okay? I will make fishers of men. All of us are to be on a mission with Jesus to reach people for Jesus. Jesus. It's the very basic entry level. Notice Jesus doesn't say, if you want to go to heaven, say this prayer. And that's what we've turned the gospel into, isn't it? He never says it once. And we're following Jesus, not what somebody else said. He says, follow me, and I'm going to do something with you. That's salvation. That's the call Jesus has put out to every single person. He said, come on. You'll go to heaven too, but come on i a mission. I'm doing something. I've come to reach people. That's the very basic call. And we know that we can't reach people. We can't fish if we're not throwing out nets, if we're not throwing out bait, if we're not intentionally trying to do it. You don't accidentally go fishing, do you? I've never walked outside and accidentally went fishing. Like, oh, oops, look, a pole just happened to land in my hand. Here we are. Yeah, you're intentional about it. That's intentionally reach people. Now, I don't know your background, but but imagine this with me, okay? I'm not talking just, I don't know where you're from or what you've done, but imagine this with me. Imagine if all churches took all the energy, energy they have, and instead of using it to be critical of people, instead of using it to be critical of pastors... Complaining about churches, complaining about lights, complaining about shows, complaining about everything church people complain about. Instead of complaining about preferences, instead of thinking about administration and programs and what we used to do, imagine if we took all of that energy and used it to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Imagine what we could do because we burn out so much energy with stuff that has nothing to do with reaching people for Jesus Christ. Imagine that. And if we did this, church, we wouldn't have to complain about society. We would be a force influencing and changing society. You say, well, Brian, I don't know about that. That is what the church experienced for a very long long time. Remember, the church started as an oppressed people, Jewish people under the what empire? Roman empire. We've heard of them, right? They won all the time. This little group of Jewish people influenced the Roman empire that 300 years later, what was the official religion? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how powerful the gospel is. It can be done, has been done, and that's what we are. We're, we're gospel people. You see, Paul and Cyrus, they were on one of their missionary journeys to, where was it? Thessalonica. And they were sharing the, the gospel, which, of course, made the locals mad and made the Jewish people mad. They're like, these people come. And they're telling people about Jesus. We don't like that. And so they were staying at this guy's, Jason's house. And an angry mob came and said, look, we don't like these Christians here. We don't like what Paul and Silas are doing. We got to stop this. And I want you to see what they said about these guys in Acts seventeen, six. So they were going after these Christians. And it says, and when they could not find them, they dragged Jason. This is the guy who let him stay at his house. They dragged Jason, some of the brothers before the city's authority, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. That's what they used to say about Christians. They've turned the world upside down. Isn't that amazing? That's what happens when Christians are committed to the mission of Jesus. We will turn the world upside down. We are a force to be reckoned with because the gospel is too powerful. It's an amazing thing. It's disruptive. Or rather, many times, Christians, we get distracted with all sorts of stuff. But as Christians, I believe we need to get back into the business of being personally disruptive with the gospel. Because that's what it is it's disruptive. The gospel is very disruptive. And instead of complaining about politicians or the new generation, That pretty much sums up everything everybody's complaining about, right? It's the politicians or it's those millennials or whoever's after us. It's all of their faults. And side note, millennials aren't in office. I just need to point that out. We're not doing this, okay? But instead of blaming the politicians, instead of blaming the next generation, let's come together and be the people of God, the people he's called us to be, and realize that the actual problem is us, We've stopped telling people the good news of Jesus Christ. We've stopped believing Jesus is more powerful than any politician. We've stopped believing the gospel changes lives. We've bought into other things. The gospel is a force to be reckoned with. It, look at throughout history. It gives women rights. It overturns slavery. I mean, the gospel is powerful. And still is. We just can't keep this amazing news to ourselves. Stop worrying about buildings and programs or pastor personalities or what the pastor wears and preferences. And we've forgotten our priority of personally persuading people about the good news of Jesus Christ. Because that is what matters. That God has come to us in Jesus Christ. He wants to rescue us from our sin. He is the source of life and has promised to protect, provide, and restore. And all the other things we try to do for people are band-aids because it's the gospel, it's salvation that will rescue and redeem and save. But do you believe that? Do you believe that he is the living water that will quench all thirsts? You got to believe it, don't you? You have to believe that it's true. And when we embrace this, that God has given us all a personal responsibility to share the gospel, there are no ifs, ands, and buts. And I'm sorry if you grew up your whole entire life in church and nobody ever told you, but I promise you it's been in the Bible the entire time. It's been right there, sitting on your coffee table, getting dust, right? We dust it. It's been right there. It's our personal responsibility to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has called you to fish for people. And you say, well, hold on, I'm not Billy Graham. That's great. Don't be. But God has sent you to an office. He sent you to a job. He sent you to the ball fields. He sent you all over the place, and you personally, personally own and have living inside of you the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you can take that with you wherever you go. And if we would embrace this church that God has called each and every one of us, every single person sitting here, He's called to be an evangelist, if you will, if that's the word we want to use. It's really just Christian. But He's called each and every one of us to share the gospel. Do you see the massive influence we have? It's no longer about how many people come here, it's about all those people that you have everyday contact with people in the office. People at work, your family, I know those are difficult, but your family, people in your neighborhood, people in the ball fields. Think about all the people you rub elbows with. What if that is our mission field? What if those are the people, what if those are the places that God has called us to reach? What could our impact be, church? It would be huge, And in order to do this, you do not have to be a professional. All you have to do is be you. It's simple. Build relationships. Tell them about your faith. Tell them about what God's doing in your life. Remember, it takes time. It's a process. But God is in the business of saving people, and all we have to do is understand that he's already working he's already moving, he's already doing things in people's lives, and all we're doing is simply partnering with him and looking for those opportunities to speak into what he's already doing. You don't have to force it, you just work with him. You see, success isn't if somebody converts. Success is sharing. Just sharing. Telling them about Jesus, telling them about what he's done. in you. I mean, that, that's it, like, ready to share and open to share your faith. Because it takes time. So let's talk about how to do this. Because I quite frequently, those of you who don't know me very well, I quite frankly preach out of my weaknesses and where I failed. However, this is one area I actually was pretty good at before I became a professional Christian. Okay, When you become a professional Christian, guess who you hang out with? Other Christians. When I'm not a professional Christian, I get to hang out with non-Christians. Anyways, we'll move past that. So I was able to influence and reach people with the gospel so much because it's one thing for a pastor to be someone who talks about the faith. How many people expect the pastor to talk about the faith? Yeah, you see me do it every Sunday. How many people are expecting just Billy Bob to talk about the faith at work? That doesn't happen that much, does it? And so people were amazed and I I didn't know that much but I would just talk about Jesus just all the time. Like, and nobody ever tried to ask me those academic questions we think people are gonna ask but to be fair the people I are hanging out with weren't really academic people so maybe that's why maybe your context is different so I didn't have to worry about that but you have an incredible opportunity to reach people with the gospel and let me just share some things that worked for me number one I just need you to remember that God seriously pray about this think through this that God has placed you in an environment to reach people wherever you work Wherever you're going to school, wherever you're living, God has placed you there to reach people, to talk to them about the faith. Because people are impressed with everyday faith, but you cannot be a closet Christian. That's what happens, right? We're in the closet, we don't talk about it. But I want to remind you what Jesus says Matthew 5. He says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under the bowl. And so they put it on its stand and gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Remember, you don't do good deeds just to make sure everybody thinks that you're a really awesome, nice person. You do good deeds in order so they can glorify the Father, which means you probably have to tell them why you're doing it or who you're doing it for. And this means we have to be open about our faith. We can just tie things to our faith. Like when good things happen, you can say, yeah, God's been really great to me. They'd be like, weirdo. "Mm -hmm. God's been good to me though. Or when COVID happens and you're not stressed, this would require you not to be stressed. Well, why aren't you worried? Man, because I really believe Jesus is in control of this. Would people have asked you why you're not worried during the crisis? Or they have just assumed you're in panic like everybody else, right? But it's those moments when we're different, when we act different, we're trusting that we can just say, yeah, I don't have all the answers, but I just believe God's in control. Now, when I was in construction, this is when I was younger, I was an electrician for many years. When I was an electrician, it was a super hard, very hard environment to be a Christian. I was living a different life than all of my coworkers She's like, I wouldn't talk about women the same way they would. I wouldn't look at the same things. I wouldn't smoke weed on lunch break, not joking. Like, I just wouldn't do a lot of things that they did. And so I was automatically what? Different. And I would talk about Jesus. But in that environment, do you know what that led to? Not thousands of people coming to Christ. It led to me being made fun of, me being picked on. It was very lonely, and it was very difficult. What an encouraging thing to tell you this morning, right? You're like, well, yes, sign me up for that. But it's true because not all environments are good. And if you've never worked in the construction industry, you don't, it's not the best environment. But I was trying to figure this out. I was young. I was trying to figure out what does this mean? So I didn't have a lot of friends, and it was difficult, and it was hard. And I was made fun of quite a bit. But I was able to lead one person to Christ, staying on an eight-foot ladder, and the ceiling, pulling some wire. You see, his name was BB. I don't remember his actual name, and I don't remember what he was going through, but he was very intrigued. He was younger, very intrigued by why I didn't worry about fitting in. You see, he wanted to fit in. He wanted to be cool, and you guys know, if you try to be cool and want to fit in, what do they do? They make fun of you. It's even worse, and so he was very much rejected on the construction site because he wasn't like them, and what he couldn't figure out is while I was okay not worrying about fitting in with them, and so he would ask, and I shared the gospel with him, and on an eight-foot ladder in the middle of a construction site, B.B., I don't remember his real name, he gave his life to Jesus Christ, and as I think about it, was all that ridicule and being made fun of, which, I mean, it seriously hurt. I'm not saying it wasn't a big deal. It was very hard going to work, but was it worth his soul? Is one person worth it? I thought so. I was only 19 years old dealing with all that. And you remember what it was like to be 19 trying to figure out life? Whew, it was rough. But it was exhausting, it was hard, but I wasn't afraid to publicly share. And for some of us, if we just stop being a closet Christian, if we just stopped pretending that we didn't know him, if we just were to give him credit, or give him glory, or just tell people that we are Christians. Some of us, we don't want to tell people we're Christians because we're like, yeah, I don't want them to know. Like The way I live, it would not be good if they knew I was a Christian. Come on. You wouldn't want to be like, I'm a Christian. to like, are you serious? I never, never would have thought. I mean, whew. Yeah, you, don't, yeah you, you wouldn't want that. So, I mean, your lifestyle needs to, needs to match that. So sometimes it's just being honest, and it's a step, right? Just... Be open that I am a Christian, and I love Jesus, and I'm going to give him credit for the good things, and I'm going to say I trust him during the bad times because that will speak volumes to people. Other times we got to break down stereotypes. I learned this when I was in the Army National Guard, and and what uh, we had to go by was a chaplain assistant. My job was to protect the chaplain, but I was automatically looked at in the the Army as a, a professional Christian. And so the ministry we did there was ministry of presence, which means we had to be where the people were. And so I deployed and for training in our deployment, I deployed with an infantry unit and I didn't know these guys. So what that meant is I came in as a professional Christian with people who were trained to kick doors and confront the enemy personally. I don't know if you know what kind of personality it takes to do that kind of thing, but it's not a passive person, just letting you know. And so that's who I was deployed with, and to them, I was the cuss police. I don't know why. Every time we came around, they just stopped cussing. They were like, that's, that's, that must mean, I was like, I, I don't care about cussing. But would they instantly wanted to be different, and you know, if, if you're trying to come up and build a relationship, and they think that they have to be a certain way or different around you, that doesn't work, does it? Yeah, no, and so it was this very weird thing, and what I found was, it wasn't until that I started training, and it was this, i never forget, it was the combat lifesaver course. It was put on by special forces, not that any of are special forces, but they put it on. And when I ran through all the scenarios with them, and they saw I could kick in doors like them, when they saw I could shoot like they could, when they saw I was one of them, they were like, oh, okay. They're like, you, you mean you can be a Christian and be a man? I mean, if, back then, back then, oh my goodness. I'm getting old. I say back then now, I'm gonna have a crisis, Jess. Get ready for it. I'm having a crisis when we get home. But back, I'm like, back back then, infantry was only males, very alpha male. And so, what they thought, their perception of Christian, their stereotype of Christian is you couldn't be a man. You couldn't kick indoors. You couldn't protect. My job was to protect the chaplain. I was his bodyguard. That was my primary duty, not religious services. And they didn't know that. And they found out pretty quick that I could hold my own. And for some of you, when you're at work and you're in those environments, it's just showing people that Christians don't have to be like that guy from The Simpsons. What's his name? Ned Flanders? Ned, what is? I act like you don't know who The Simpsons are. What's that guy's? whatever it is. That Christians don't have to be like that. That Christians can be good at business. or so Christians can be good in academics. That so Christians can that they can think. Or they are many the environment. Sometimes you got to break those stereotypes. Let them people know we're just like you. We just love Jesus. So you can go to the Bible and see all sorts of strong leaders and politicians and military and you name it. It's in there. So sometimes times it's breaking down those barriers to build those relationships to talk with non-Christians, to invite them into your life, and to talk to them about the unique perspectives you have. If we're to be honest, I mean, seriously, think about this. How many non-Christians have you talked to about why they don't come to church? I didn't ask you how many grumpy Christians have you talked to. You tell me about those conversations. But how many people have you talked to that don't know Jesus at all? Start asking them. I promise your perspective will change so quick. If you hang out with non-Christians, you talk to non-Christians, you realize 90% of the stuff we fight about in churches, they could care less about. So build some relationships with non-Christians. Talk to them the faith. Hey, why don't you believe in Jesus? And then write down on this. Hey, here's what you need to talk about. This guy stumped me with this question. Write down the card. We'll preach about it, right? We'll give you a whole 35, let's be honest, 45-minute sermon that you can share, but we want to partner with you. So build those relationships. Sometimes it's breaking down stereotypes and just being a normal person that loves Jesus. And then lastly, I want to tell you about when I was a general manager. When I finally got into position of leadership, I was a general manager of a car care center. We had oil change bay, car wash, all that kind of stuff. Detail bay, we had 30 employees. And I'm not going to lie, it was here that I found it super easy to be a Christian. You know Why? Because I was the boss. And when when you're the boss, guess who gets to set the rules? I do. So no longer could people be made fun of all those things that I dealt with and all those things I experienced. Now that I'm the boss, guess what they're not going to do? And so I set standards. Women, especially women customers or women employees, if they were degraded or made fun of or whatever that happens in those environments, they would instantly be fired, no questions asked. If you were to pick on other employees, you're fired, no questions asked. I got to use all of my Christian values of loving other people and standing up for other people and all those things I experienced. Now I got to apply as the boss. It was great. And I was very open and honest. Why? And it's not that our values were any different. I mean, every company says don't steal, right? Yeah, Christian morals and ethics are pretty much the same that every company wants, And so I got to apply, but I was very open. I'm a Christian. Here's why we do this. I love Jesus. We're not going to tolerate this because of this, this, and this. And I had Christian owners, what made it uh, people who owned the company, which was very great. I dedicated part of, of, of the lobby area. I gave away free Bibles and resources. It was super fun. And I got to lead a lot of people to Christ during this. I hired people I shouldn't have hired. Sometimes it worked out, other times it shouldn't have, but I tried. You know, to, in my hiring practice, display Christian values. That is hard. Did you know that? Giving people second chances and things like that? Yeah. And so I was able to use my faith and influence at how I led. And I'll never forget. I mean, I would tell all the employees out of very open conversations, and I would walk with them constantly with no fear of repercussions. It didn't start that way, but that's where it ended. And I'll never forget one day when we'll call him Billy Bob. I'm not going to say his name. When Billy Bob came by, he was an employee I had to fire. Who knows Why? But he came back and he said, Brian, he talked to talk to you. I said, what's going on? He, I was the only Christian he knew and he respected me. Didn't mean he, respect and liking everything you do aren't the same, we, we know that, right? So he respected me in my face. So he said, hey, I'm in a mess, I need some help. I said, what's going on? He sat down, and he said, well, he said, my girlfriend, she's a stripper in DC and she's pregnant. And he said, I, I don't know what to do because she wants to get an abortion because she says it's gonna mess up her tips if she gets pregnant. I said, okay. And he said, when the police are looking for me, He said, there's some charges coming against me and I have some automatic weapons and cocaine in the car. I'm not making this, that was a true story. And I was like, and then he looked at me like I was supposed to have the answers to all that. I was like, "Ah." so I pulled the line from Max, I love it. I said, look, I said, I don't know about all that, but what I can tell you is about Jesus. Like what you're dealing with, man, but I can tell you about Jesus who's coming to save And Jesus didn't get you out of jail because that's where he was going. He's not going to get you out of jail. He's not going to rescue you from all this, but Jesus will forgive you, and he's come to save you. And I shared the gospel with him. He gave his life to Christ sitting right there on the picnic table. He still went to jail, which he should have. But I didn't know what to say. And remember when Peter and John, they were at the temple, and the lame beggar was begging for money, and they said, silver and gold, we don't have. Like, what you think you need? I don't have. It's the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. Well, he didn't ask to walk. Thank the Lord. I don't think I could have done that. But I just took that line, like, I hear what you're going through. I don't have the answers, but here's what I can tell you. Because why did he come there? I don't know. The only thing I can assume is God brought him there because he was in a mess, and he was in a place, and God had brought him there for me to openly display, but he wouldn't have known to come to me if I wasn't honest about being a Christian, if I wasn't serious about the faith, if I hadn't already done that groundwork so I chose to be open and honest in those environments. And and honestly, at the car wash, I led a ton of people to Christ. It was great. And I want you to know that you have already been commissioned and called by Jesus to do the same. I wasn't a pastor. I didn't know a lot about the Bible. I didn't have everything figured out. I was just a guy who loved Jesus and told everybody about it. You'd be amazed at what that little bit does. And then lastly, I wanna encourage you with Family. And I want to remind you that God has placed your family in environments to reach people. Because families are busy. And what if we realize that God has called our families and placed our families in environments to reach those people? That when you're at the ball fields and when you're doing those trips and you're building those relationships, what if you looked at it as, hey, God has sent me here to tell these people about Jesus. To build relationships. To share the faith. Then we can do all sorts of stuff and realizing that we're doing this for the Lord and we're trying to reach people for the Lord, and that is an amazing thing. But we have to be open about our faith. We have to be honest about our faith. We have to tell people about Jesus that we love him and we care about him and he can help in their life. So, individually, God has placed you, he has placed me, he has placed our families in places to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some environments, it's going to be ridiculously hard. You'll be like, Brian, I'm not allowed to share my faith. Well, you're going to have to pray about that one because you're commanded by the king of the universe to do it. So you're going to have to work through what that looks like and how that works. But God has called us all, and just look at our field. Look at the reach. If every single one of us went out there and started sharing the faith, and being open and honest about the faith, and see what the Lord could then do with it. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, come to you in the name of Jesus, Lord. We just thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the places you've put us, the people around us, Lord, and we just pray that you can use us to share the gospel, to tell them about Jesus, to tell them about what Jesus has done in our lives, about what Jesus can do in their lives. Or perhaps, Lord, we could simply invite them out to church, invite them to a place where they can see what Christians do. We thank you so much that you've saved us, you've called us, and you've sent us. So, Father, I pray that as we leave here, I pray that your spirit puts those people on our minds that we need to be praying for, those people that we need to share the faith with, those relationships we need to build. Because, Father, you are on a worldwide mission to reach people. You desire that all people come to know you. So, Lord, let us be your ambassadors. Let us let our light shine. Let us get serious about your mission. Father, we love you, and we thank you. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.